IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Rather than looking at multiple programs to help your child in different subjects, one subscription gets you everything with IXL Learning, and all the kids in your home work off one subscription from pre-K to 12th grade. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com IXLAV. Visit IXL.com IXLAV to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast, game week number 12, and we're switching things up just a bit because of the way this one lines up with a Black Friday kickoff and Thanksgiving smack dab the day before that kickoff. We're coming to you on a Tuesday here recording with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen in just a moment. You're also going to hear from Stephen Brooks, who covers the Michigan State Spartans within our 24-7 Sports Network. He's been on with us annually for this Big Ten East showdown. Uh, but this is our only episode before the kickoff. I know that we typically bring three episodes along the week. Uh, not going to happen because of the holiday and because of the traveling that's required for this matchup. Um, so we'll be back with you Friday night, late in a Friday night. Perhaps you'll hear from us on Saturday morning, some of you. Uh, but whatever happens against Michigan State, uh, Daniel Gallon from Ford Field, myself actually from Florida on this occasion, we will collaborate, join forces for a post-game edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast, wrapping up uh, game number 12 on the schedule. It features the number 11 Penn State Nittany Lions now at nine and two coming off a victory over Rutgers last Saturday and Michigan State Spartans. It has been a, a pretty rough go of it for Michigan State and East Lansing. They are, however, coming off a victory against Indiana. So to help us break down the opponent before we focus on what's happening here in Happy Valley and Penn State's development towards kickoff, it's Stephen Brooks. As I mentioned, he covers Michigan State for 24-7 Sports. Stephen, good to have you back. Absolutely, man. Good to talk to you again. It, although I will say it's, it always means we're at the end of the year. Uh, so that part's a little sad, but um, I guess this year, you know, in some ways, probably uh, on the Michigan State side, just just needs to end probably as quick as possible. There's an element of mercy to this uh, to this Friday night then for you. Um, we talked about worst case scenario. I think we had you on in July. I uh, had a few different uh, reporters across the network. I think Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, giving us the lay of the land, Iowa, about some of the matchups and, and how things could end up materializing. And you. Talked about the juxtaposition uh, and Mel Tucker's career up to that point. Fantastic 2021 season where you know they're on the, the doormat of the college football playoff conversation. They're right on that edge. Um, and, and yet they followed up with the clunker of a year last year. But we could not have anticipated how September was going to go uh, for <laughs> Michigan State. So let's start there. Mel Tucker's firing very early on for non-football related things. 
Um, talk us through a little bit of what coverage was like in East Lansing leading up to his dismissal and then how you think it impacted not only Michigan State's complexion here in 2023, but really long term, whatever kind of vision had been laid out there. Sure. So it uh, it happened the night of the news initially broke the night of the Richmond game, um, their second game of the season. And it was interesting, you know, he had, uh, I don't think, you know, not to necessarily, but so they, they had Washington up next. And we've all seen what Washington's done. You know, they were ranked in the top 10 to begin with anyway. And uh, he said after that Richmond game, he's like, there's no 24 hour rule. He's like, as soon as the, he's like, I told the guys, as soon as they leave the building start thinking about Washington, it's on to Washington right away. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. He's never said that before. It's always, you know, as cliche as, as it gets, you know, 24 hour rule, but he always said that. And I don't think that like he knew necessarily what was coming or anything like that, but, uh, it just makes me think back like, man, I had a pretty good story like ready to go in my head about how big they were making that game, how they were leaning into the big bigness of, of that game because they didn't really do that. But anyway, uh, I'm out getting some late night food and um, get a pop up on my phone, an ESPN alert about like Mel Tucker is the subject of a sexual harassment complaint. And I was like, whoa, you know, the little pop ups only have like a sentence or two. And then I go home and read the USA Today story, which is really what broke it all open. It had a lot more of the detail and, and uh, you know, really exhaustive reporting there. And, and uh, I saw the name Brenda Tracy. And I was like, whoa. And my eyes almost fell out of my head because I, I knew that name, of course, from how she had been around the program. So um, could not believe that, that she was involved and especially the nature with which, the, you know, that she was involved as the complainant uh, in that whole deal. That was stunning. The, the, the nature of the of the scandal itself, you know, before I knew it was, I, that part didn't stun me based on some things I'd heard, you know, and just being around town, being around the program, you know, that part didn't blow me away, but being, and what, that it was involving her definitely did. Um, so, I mean, that night I went to bed like, yeah, there's, there's no way he's going to survive this. And sure enough, I mean, he was suspended the next morning. Uh, he was fired about two weeks later. That was September 10th. He was fired on September 27th officially. Um, you know, and there was just, it was kind of um, incremental at that point because, you know, it was, it was, he was suspended and then there was some lawyering back and forth and some statements. And then MSU gave him the letter, which is contract mandated. They gave him seven days notice before they actually fired him. And then, you know, there, again, there was some bickering and some public, you know, sort of jostling with lawyers and everything. And so then he was finally gone on September 27th. And uh, it's been a really long runway on the coaching search ever since. So it was, it was, I mean, it obviously hit the community and, and, and jarred everything, you know, jarred everyone, shocked everyone in that respect. Um, this was never, I think, I assume I, you know, I was pretty consistent through over the summer. I'm sure I said that when I was on here last that, like, this was never going to be a title contention year in the Big Ten. This was always, you know, I picked them to go six and six. Uh, so it was, this was just on kind of a, a keep momentum going, continue the build type of season. You know, the most talented players on this roster our freshmen and sophomores, his Mel Tucker's last two recruiting classes. And so it was really about, like, nobody really expected them to make any kind of leap. It was about can he keep recruiting at that pace, stack a third class on top of that, then get to a fourth, you know, and then the program's in a much healthier position to compete or to try to start competing in 2024 and 2025. So when you talk about what the what's the effect, it's like it has all that momentum, you know, sort of disappeared. You know, on the field, they didn't do anything of note last year, but – the recruiting was still in a positive place uh, to where you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and that's what he came here with was the promise of being a big time recruiter and upping the talent level. He did that in some respects, but obviously he's not going to be around to finish the job. So we're probably going to learn in about a week, no more than two, I would say, 
who that next guy is to pick up the baton and to try and, you know, restart in some ways, but finish in other ways that rebuild that, that Mel Tucker had going. Yeah, not only are you eyeing this next hire, you're also eyeing, eyeing the impact on this roster and, and with the transfer oh, yeah. portal a period. I mean, it, it springs open for teams when they fire their coach. We're seeing that not take place in Texas A&M, but now the season officially finishes. Maybe the guys that were seeing this thing through, um, whoever the next head coach is, uh, you, you certainly I know it's going to be a busy time in East Lansing monitoring the transfer portal in the coming weeks. Um, Harlan Barnett stepped up as the interim head coach. He's a former Michigan State standout. He's been the defensive backs coach for the last few seasons with the Spartans. And, and you talked about that Washington game that they were gearing up for, 2-0, leaning into it, ready to get after it. And then what happens during the course of that week? And Mel Tyker obviously ends up being uh, exempt from the equation for the rest of the way for this program. And they follow that with five, I'm sorry, six consecutive losses. They, they lose to Washington 41 to seven. They lose to Maryland 31 to nine. Iowa 26 16. Rutgers 27 24. Michigan 49 nothing. Minnesota 27 12. Finally, pick up a win against Nebraska on November 4th after all that time by three points. Fall at Ohio State 38-3. And then last week, go and get their uh, their first road win of the season as a three-point underdog. They win by three at Indiana. That all adds up to four and seven. So what has the spiral kind of looked like over the course of this season from the point that Tucker left to where we are now? And additionally, what has it looked like in the last few weeks where they have picked up a couple wins home against Nebraska at Indiana? These are not banner, hang the banner wins, but when you're trying to grab anything and stop your fading momentum, these are significant, I would imagine. Yeah, the Washington game, I exactly how it happened is exactly how I thought it would happen all offseason, obviously, well before Mel Tucker's situation. You know, I've said a couple of times, like, they could have had Bill Belichick and, and, and Nick Saban as the DC that day. It wasn't going to matter. Washington is just perfectly built to sort of exploit the weaknesses of Michigan State at that time. They've they have not been a good pass defense team since Mel Tucker got here. Now, as we round the corner at the end of the season, they're actually they've they've gotten a little better because they got a lot of young dudes playing that now have some experience. But in the third game of the season, it was not going to go well, and it didn't. Uh, from there, though, you know they've to their credit, and and I probably wrote three or four times like. When the you know something to the effect of dot 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 when the wheels fall off you know sort of assuming that it would and it hasn't you can look at the record and, and I understand what it looks like but these guys to their credit have continued to fight the effort has been there basically the entire way you know the only time I really questioned that was a late drive against Rutgers and that was the second game that they had really melted down and given away and that's the other thing when you look at this when you look at that losing streak. Maryland at home, you know, a couple things changed. You know, they gave them some short fields with some turnovers. I think MSU had five turnovers that day. Uh, I don't have it off the top of my head here, but uh, several turnovers. And that, that wasn't as, as – uh, the score was not indicative of how close that game was in that one. You go over to Iowa. Uh, they had a – Iowa was the next game. They're up uh, – they're in control early. They're up by three. They're, they're driving for another touchdown. They get picked off. Nothing happens there. Uh, they're up 16-10, I think it was which we all know, you got a six-point lead on Iowa. You should win that game. Uh, and then they have a, 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 shank, um, a shanked punt that went for like 15, 20 yards, led to a tying field goal. Their next punt is returned by Cooper DeGene for the game-winning score. So, you know, two two catastrophes in the span of just a couple minutes there. So they, they really feel like they should have won that game. They probably should have. They did play better than Iowa 
up until that final stretch. You go to Rutgers, they uh, had an 18-point lead, I think it was, um, in the fourth quarter, melted away. Um, dropped a punt snap in the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, gave up an onside kick, you know, um, and then at that, you know, at that point, I think Rutgers had tied it up. And then when I mentioned that one drive, they ran it like eight straight times and Michigan state was just getting blown off the ball after the Iowa meltdown, seeing it meltdown, there was a pouring rain day. They've been, you know, miserable out there seeing the meltdown live. I think that there was a little bit of give there and Rutgers, like I said, ran it like seven or eight times and, and rushed in the go ahead score there. And, so that's at least two win, two games that, that I know that they feel like they should have won. And I think if you watch the whole season, you know, you can make a reasonable argument that they didn't. Obviously, the mistakes happened, but it was indicative of how they've continued to fight. So even after those gut punches, you know, Michigan, they were going to get steamrolled regardless. Um, that, that's just that they're a really good team. Minnesota, another situation where they're up early. You know, they get two for they had two turnovers on Minnesota's first two drives right on the fringe of the red zone, like the 23 and like the 29 or something, they get great field position. They only get six points out of it. And sure enough, they get worn down over the fourth quarter. Minnesota ran the running, the like fifth or fourth string running back ran for like 200 yards on them. And uh, they ended up losing that one. So it very much could have been a different season record wise. They very much could have been in a bowl game. But the whole deal is that uh, the, the big takeaway, at least I should say, is they haven't given up yet, even though they had every reason to. Uh, they only lost, I think, five kids in the immediate portal window once Tucker was fired. It was five or maybe six. Um, it was weird because uh, one of their starting D tackles, Simeon Barrow, went in and came out like two days later. So my count is always uh, – it's been hard to remember. But I think it's only five that left. Um, they're really injured right now. They're really low on bodies. But not a lot of guys have packed it in, and they had every reason to, you know, especially as goals continue to fall off the table, whether it was beating Michigan, whether it was, you know, X amount of wins – whether it was beating Ohio State when they were ranked number one, you know, that's kind of a carrot on the stick as however unrealistic as that was. So they, they've just showed up every week, and I've been really impressed because I thought for sure that how early it happened and just how the, the scandalous nature of it and the fact that Mel Tucker, when we talk about his recruiting, I, everybody knows he was portal heavy. You know, a lot of guys coming in on a mercenary type of deal, like trying to get theirs and trying to play one or two good seasons and get to league. That's just what it is for a lot of these portal guys or from Georgia or Texas or Florida or California, where he expanded the recruiting map. These aren't guys who grew up bleeding green over from the Detroit area, you know, or are or, or, or bleeding and dying for the program and the Spartan logo. There's not a lot of guys like that around anymore because of the way they recruited. So I thought, man, this could get really ugly by the end of the year. And to their credit, it really hasn't. They've, they've really continued to stay in the fight. And I think that's impressive. More of a competitive bunch, maybe heading to Detroit than than Penn State fans would realize from the outside looking in, based on what you just described. I did mention that they've won two of their last three matchups uh, against Nebraska and Indiana, bookending the, the blowout loss to Ohio State. Um, let's talk, I guess, where they are. And you talked about injuries being an issue. Um, it really hasn't been an issue for for Penn State. They're probably in an enviable spot right now from a health standpoint. So, how is that part? going to impact what we see on the field for Michigan State Friday night? And and and, and where are the positions that it's directly impacting most? Yeah, that uh, it's it's becoming an issue. I mean, we I just was at uh, post-practice interviews a little bit earlier today, and um, one of the receivers, I think it was Montori Foster, mentioned, like, they're not hitting at all this week. You know, and that's not super uncommon this time of year. I mean, you, you definitely dial back, but he said they're not hitting at all. Um, so that there's that. Uh, receiver is a position. Um their fifth-year senior, you know, sort of leader, Trey Mosley, uh, is a guy who's not expected to play. He's missed several games now. I don't think he's 
I think his last game was the Minnesota game. Um, and, you know, he's he's very reliable, but he's not a guy – like, in a vacuum, you necessarily wouldn't miss him. Um, he catches balls that are thrown his way when he's open, but, like, he doesn't get a lot of explosive gains. He doesn't separate, like, a, very well. He won't make you miss. He's just kind of a steady, reliable guy. He's been, like, a number two or number three his whole career here. And, like, by skill set, uh, that's really what he is. Um, he just sort of elevated to the number one role because of – by default, you know, because Keon Coleman transfers and Jaden Reed moves on. Uh, Jerron Glover is a redshirt freshman. He's shown a lot more upside, a lot more of that deep threat ability. Uh, he, he's questionable for this week. So two guys who are mainstays in the rotation could not be there. Starting center Nick Samak uh, just had an injury last week. He's not going to play this week. Um, the guy behind him, Dallas Fincher, is not very experienced. Um, so that's a bit of an issue for an offensive line that hasn't been very good all year. Uh, or, or several years, I guess, really. Uh, defensive tackle, I think, though, is probably the biggest one. Um, they were down to, like, a three-man rotation going into last last week, and they had a couple guys get nicked up in that game and uh, returned to play. But, um, you know, that's, it's a really thin area there. They had a walk-on offensive lineman converted over to D-tackle and get in there for a couple series against Indiana, and that didn't go very well. Um, I do think they could probably at least get up to four. This week, scholarship main rotation guys, if, uh, Maverick Hansen, who's a fifth-year senior, comes back. Um, he's been practicing. They're unsure exactly if he'll be able to play, but that's a really, really thin position there right now. Linebacker, they're about three deep. The three that they play are about the only three that they have right now because of some injuries. Um, and then a cornerback, uh, Chance Rucker, number 25, a true freshman, missed the second half uh, last week against Indiana, so I don't know exactly what he's – where he's at, and then Charles Brantley, who was a starter for the first handful of weeks, has been a you know, multi-year starter for him. Um, he hasn't been available either, so they're a little young at cornerback, a little inexperienced as well. They, it, these are pretty much all across the board. Oh, the other one I should mention really quick, Nathan Carter, starting running back, as, is questionable as well. Um, he went down last in the Indiana game last weekend, and um, kind of an odd situation. He went down, got up, and like almost collapsed, and, and, and then you know walked back off under his own power with him. We haven't gotten any detail on what happened there, but they said uh, sort of TBD on him this week. And Carter has been the leading rusher for Michigan State in 10 of 11 contests to this point. That's a long list, I mean, of guys that you're <laughs> going to be watching closely during pregame warmups. Um, so that kind of tells another story about where Michigan State is coming into this matchup. Tell us this. If, if Michigan State does put uh, Penn State, ranked number 11 right now in the AP poll, on upset alert in Detroit on Friday night, what's the pathway, what's the blueprint that gets them there? Man, probably it would probably be uh, the defense carrying the banner. Um, the offense has just been inept, you know, a lot of the season, especially of late. You know, the, the thing that's that's interesting on offense is they have a true freshman, Sam Levitt, who was a four-star kid out of Oregon, and um, they really they really mismanaged him, quite honestly. So he shut it down for the season to take a red shirt. He he hit the four-game limit against uh, Nebraska. Only played two series, though. Uh, he played earlier in the year in Maryland, game four, like we were talking about. Played one series late in that one, and you know, so really wasted that that game for him. Uh, played, I think, two series against Michigan, and played a couple against Minnesota. Did less than ten possessions all all year in four games, and he wanted to to hold the red shirt against Minnesota. Though he led their only touchdown drive. He's shown a spark that he can do some things off off script with his legs. He just there's there's something to it when he's in the game. He just kind of brings that it factor. He, he's moving around the pocket. He's making 
great throws off platform. He, he's a really exciting player in a small sample size. Um, if he was playing, you know, I, I think they're, I think they'd, I'd give him an outside puncher shot, but just offensively, it's really hard to see them getting anything done, especially without that, those couple of receivers I mentioned, which the receiver talent as a collective wasn't that high to begin with. Um, so to your point, I think it'd have to be something defensive, uh, a pick six, or a couple turnovers. I think they can, when healthy, they can stop the run fairly well. And I know that I know Penn State's two, you know, two backs have been sort of the tip of the spear for them and what they want to do. Um, but with them being thinner at defensive tackle, it's just harder to see. Uh, you know, this they know this is their Super Bowl, this is their last gasp. So um, I do expect guys to sort of go all out and play all out. But I, will that be enough? You know, if they're not at 100 percent health wise, I don't know. Their, their linebackers are definitely built to play downhill and shut down the run. They're very susceptible to getting the ball thrown over their head, though. Um, and I talked about the secondary, you know, early on, I mean, for years under Mel Tucker, it was not good. Uh, now, when I said those for the freshman and sophomore classes are the most talented on the team, that's where you really see it uh, right now the most, at least. You know, all four of the five starters are first or second year players, and most of them are four-star kids coming in. Chance Rucker, the true freshman I mentioned, was. Uh, Dylan Tatum, another starting corner uh, who, who was starting before Rucker moved in there. Um, he's also out with an injury. Uh, the two safeties were one was a four star, one was a borderline four star kid in Jade Mangum and Malik Spencer. They they just now they have all this experience. They've taken a lot of reps this year. They've kept those guys in even late in blowouts, um, just because they're all sophomores and freshmen. They needed those game reps. They're really coming together into something pretty good. So if they could get a tip ball, you know, or something, get get an interception, get a strip, and set up a short field for Michigan State early, I think it's got to be something like that. It's got to be some some big big plays, whether it may be on special teams, but probably on defense to, to help the offense out. That's, that's about the only path I see to make this thing um, fairly competitive or you, or, you know, Penn state has to come out and, you know, trip over themselves, you know, and I guess, you know, fumble snaps and things like that. But uh, I'm looking at the defense uh, to have a big day, I guess, if, if something like that were to happen. We got another minute here before we shift gears to to Penn State with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. But give us kind of the the uh, the the way you see this one unfolding Saturday, the final score, and just if Nathan Carter is limited or unable to go at running back because he has been so important to them. What should we expect from the quarterback position for Michigan State in this matchup? Yeah, I I think Penn State will eventually separate. I, I could see it being close for like a quarter, quarter and a half. Because again, these guys do know like this is their last gasp. Uh, and I think there's like a lot of appreciation and admiration for each other in that room to be still standing at the end here, given everything that they've gone through and that they have continued to fight. So I do think guys will lay it all on the line. Maybe we see some out of character stuff when, you know, like with like a trick play on offense or two or trick, you know, fake on special teams, something like that. Um, I don't have a score off the top of my, I, I guess like, give me like a 35, uh, man, that Penn State even is really good. Like 35, 13, maybe type of game, but maybe it's like 21-10 at halftime, I guess. You know, somewhere it's fairly close early, but I think Penn State's just going to wear them down. I think the defense is probably too limited in the middle of the D-line there. Um, and to be honest, Penn State, they do have more to play for. Um, so when you say quarterback, you know, Kate Hauser has been – he's the redshirt freshman. He's the guy who's the only scholarship quarterback that's, that's healthy and left. Um, he's shown some good things, but he's very much looked like a young player out there. Um, some good and some bad. You know, I think he took a couple steps against Indiana, but uh, not somebody that I think is super dangerous either, especially with the corners that, that Penn State has and just the, the entire defense. 
I don't know if he's going to have enough time. You know, again, Michigan State's O-line has not been its strongest unit. Uh, with the pressure that, that Penn State can get just with its front, uh, I don't know if he's going to have much time to sit back there and, and to do much. And, again, he doesn't have receivers that are really game breakers to help him out. Uh, the guy that I haven't mentioned yet that I should really quick before I go is Malik Carr, tight end number six. If you watched last week, he, he was the MVP of the Indiana game, had the game winner at the end, but – 100-yard day, two touchdowns. He's 6'6", 260. He'll be playing – if he puts it all together, he'll be playing at Ford Field regularly in the future. I mean, he's a pro type of player. So he's somebody who can who – can, he's probably the only remaining player who can give, like, anybody a problem. Um, so watch for him to make a couple big plays. I just I just don't think it'll be enough. And I, I, I do expect these guys to fight hard, but, um, you know, effort only goes so far when, when you're at a talent mismatch like they are in this game. Well, Stephen, we, we've sat down for this pregame conversation in years past where there, there's, you know, some Big Ten East title contention riding between these two teams. Different scenario playing out this Friday, but congrats to getting to the finish line. I know it's been an interesting season for you to cover. Uh, good stuff from you and your site uh, within the 24-7 Sports Network. And also uh, best of luck with the head coaching search that I'd imagine doesn't have much longer to go. Yeah, I can. Yeah, we can see the finish line on, on many fronts here, but uh, I'm not happy to see football go, but I'm, I am happy to look forward to something different too, you know, that that's not the, the same old uh, storylines. So, you know, until next time, man, I always appreciate talking to you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Let's jump over to Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan right now, my colleagues at lines247.com. We just heard a lot on the Michigan State Spartans, and you have to respect the way they've stuck together as a locker room, and it sounds like they're going to be motivated to finish this thing, but you also heard a lot there about the talent disparity in this matchup and where Michigan State is from a health standpoint compared to where Penn State is. Uh, a lot working in the Nitty Lions' favors, fellas. Uh, that Las Vegas thinks so as well. It's a three-touchdown margin. We'll give you our final score and predictions a little bit later. But just to, to, to kind of give our listeners the lay of the land, you're getting our predictions, our, our thoughts here. But we haven't seen practice. I just want to make that clear. Usually when we come to you guys for our pregame episode, we've seen practice by then. So we will have a bunch of Tuesday night practice coverage over at lines247.com. Check that out. But as I said, because of the travel that's in place this week with the holiday, with the game on Friday in Detroit, uh, we are just packing it all into this Tuesday episode. So if something big breaks at practice, like maybe someone's not there, uh, we'll cover that over at lines247.com. But gentlemen, welcome back in. Happy Thanksgiving week to you. And uh, let's move on to, to, to focus on Michigan State. We're done with the Rutgers recap. We leave that behind in the last couple episodes. And we'll begin with you, Daniel Gallen. Um, we, we heard a lot from Steven about the Michigan State side of this thing, and they're kind of slumping their way through this season. They've got a couple wins in the last three weeks, but Penn State now certainly has a lot of steam to gain here before what we consider to be a big bowl matchup with a 10th win. How important is it for Penn State to not just go out, pick up a win, but in your opinion, to go look like they are the authoritative figure in this particular matchup? I think that Penn State going into this matchup really needs to put itself in position where it goes into the into the bowl prep uh, into the offseason without without many questions surrounding it. I think that that's one thing that really stands out from the season is that even when they were beating Delaware 63 to 7 and UMass 63 to nothing, you would finish those games and you would kind of be like, well, where was the running game? Where was where was the vertical passing game? Where was this? Where was that? Um, on a lot of areas, mostly on offense, not really any on the defense. Um, but I think that Penn State in this kind of matchup, I mean, this is their last chance to really make an impression on the national stage. 
Um, I, I think that this is going to be how a lot of people remember them uh, for this season because what happens in a bowl game, uh, it, this team and the team that they're facing could look a lot different depending on how things shake out. So this is your last chance to really put your best foot forward. Um, you're kind of bookending the season. You started the year um, on NBC back on September 2nd. Now you're at the end of November. You're back on NBC in prime time. Uh, You're probably picking up some casual viewers because it's Black Friday. Uh, You're after that NFL game. Um, You do have to go up against Oregon, Oregon State, uh, which is an intriguing matchup on the West Coast. But you're going to have a lot of people's attention. So this is a key spot to put your best foot forward. Try to leave no doubt in the type of team that you are. And then... We'll, we'll see how the dust settles through the conference championship game weekend and what it means for bowl season. Mark, we've already discussed the fact that you now the, the door is not open for this team to be playing Big Ten football that first week of, of December and how maybe that impacted their psyche. We've moved on from that. They, 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 they come away with a 21-point win over Rutgers, so it seems like overall, for the most part, this team has moved on from that. What are you particularly looking for? I think we're all looking for a win from Penn State in this matchup, but what do you think is important from the, just the punctuation mark at the end of Big Ten play here in 2023 for Penn State to put out there? Yeah, I think we know what we're going to get defensively. I mean, this is a Michigan State team that's really struggled offensively against the better teams that it's faced. I mean, you know, get scoring a total of three points against Michigan and Ohio State. I just think it's going to be another one of those games where uh, I, I just don't know that Michigan State can score enough points to win. And, and the special teams for Penn State has really picked it up in the second half of the season, but uh, the offense, there's still a lot of question marks. I mean, and, you know, even irrespective of the quarterback situation, I just think it's, you know, if Aller plays great, if he doesn't play, uh, you know, I think they'll be okay, but I think they have to come out and, and establish their identity again. And, you know, again, I've, I've gone around and around on this, but I think we saw it at the end of the game last week that against this sort of opponent, they have to prove that they could run the ball. The offensive line has to come out and do what it needs to do. Catron Allen, I think has been consistent all year. And I think we need to see Nick Singleton really pick it up and, and, and use the end of last week's game as a springboard. Uh, and I think you mentioned it on our podcast uh, yesterday, whatever these days are all kind of running together at, at this point, but you know, going into this break before the bowl, feeling good about himself and, and you know going back to what Daniel said this is going to be Penn State really having a national audience for at least an hour right I mean in, until 8 30 and that Oregon Oregon State game comes around then I think a lot of people may be flipping the channel so come out and play well early you know no no, no excuse for a noon kick I mean this is 7 30 kick you're playing in an NFL stadium I don't think there's going to be a lot of fans there which is which is fine bring your own juice but I think coming out and playing well early overall not just the offense but everybody and establishing that tone you know as Daniel mentioned uh, this is going to be the lasting impression a lot of people have and if you come out and play well um, you know, the, those poll voters are going to be watching. Everybody's going to be watching. The, the committee is going to be watching. And, you know, I, I think they're going to be in good shape for a New Year's Six Bowl if they win. But you never know how things may play out. I mean, there are scenarios out there where people are saying they may not get there if a Florida State loses. So uh, come out and play well early and do what you can do. Take care of business and, and, uh, and, and send that message to the nation. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Playing this game in an NFL stadium does add maybe a a layer of of bowl vibes to it because it's just different when you show up, that bus rolls up, you you see all the the Lions logos, the NFL logos. This is a place that you want to be playing in in the years to come, wearing a different uniform down the road. Uh, But I think think for a lot of these guys, curious to see how they react to that. We've seen teams come out in those environments and just be fired up from the get-go. And we've seen some teams take uh, uh, some time to find their footing, especially on offense, I think. Uh, a little bit of a different atmosphere like this and, and, and not necessarily an on-campus environment that you become so accustomed to through the grind of a college football season. So we'll see if a setting plays any kind of role. We do know that it's a familiar location for a few of the guys that, that we're going to get a chance to speak with. We'll have Kaylin King, the cornerback, uh, after practice on Tuesday night, and you'll hear about all that at lines247.com as we come away from those discussions. But earlier on this Tuesday, we heard from his brother, Kobe King, linebacker, uh, and also safety Jalen Reed, both Detroit natives. Both were highly sought-after prospects out of that city. And, Daniel, clearly they've got uh, some extra um, excitement about this one. It's not just a chance to go play against a team that they're very familiar with in Michigan State, and I'm sure there's guys on the other sideline they're very familiar with, but it's an opportunity for some friends from the old neighborhood, as Jalen Reed described it, 
to see you play. It, it may have been from high school. They've probably seen you play on TV, but he sounded really uh, just enthused by the opportunity, specifically Jalen Reed, to play in some of those old buddies, you know, guys that he grew up playing football with who are now, you know, been, been following him and rooting for him. And he'll get a chance, I'm sure, after the game to, to show his and you know, his love and appreciation for them. But during the game, I think some of these guys, the King Twins and Jalen Reed specifically, they're going to carry something in their heart. And, and we'll see if that, you know, makes any kind of impact on the field. Jalen Reed said that he'll have more than 15 people there as part of his party uh, watching him. And he said that there are people that haven't seen him play since he was in high school. Uh, he went to Detroit Martin Luther King, uh, which is a, you know one of the better programs in that city, um, along with Cast Tech, where the King, tw King Twins went. Um, but Jalen Reed said that he's already played at Ford Field before uh, in his career, that he played there twice in state championship games when he was in high school. Um, and then he played there uh, in a championship game when he was in Little League football. Um, so it, it sounded like he was really excited to be able to come back and have this opportunity. Um, before the Michigan game, we talked to him for a long time about you know what it means to be from Detroit, some of the guys that he looks up to, like Sauce Gardner, um, the, the Jet Star cornerback. And I, I think that in that city, I think he viewed I think he's well aware of kind of the football history that's in there, the type of players that have come, you know, before him uh, and kind of whose footsteps he's following. And so yeah, he struck me as someone that was you know, really, really excited to be there. And I, I think that he's another one of these guys who seems to show up um, in, in some of these these bigger games. We saw him make some plays against Ohio State, a couple of plays against Michigan. Um, so I think that Jalen Reed is definitely someone who is going to be up uh, for this game. Kobe King also has some experience there at Ford Field. He told us as a little league player, as a, as a younger Pee Wee football player, uh, and he also brought up the fact that uh, you know he does you know feel like he's answered the bell here a bit uh, during the, this past month, and, and his his reps have spiked. He's staying on the field on these third downs. He's earned a, a more of a, a, a long term role within this defense, game by game, rather than being out there for a play or two at a time and then trotting back to the sideline when they bring in an extra defensive back and. He's grading out highly. He's producing at a high level. He's now the team's leading tackler all of a sudden, despite playing 150 to 200 snaps fewer than a lot of the other defenders who are, are up there with him on the stat sheet. And when it comes to Kobe King, Mark, Brennan, I mean, it's also the time of the year where you're focusing it on the ascending figures that you're starting to lock in as 2024 core components. And Kobe King, now in his third year, his first as a starter, not only is he showing up as a big defensive player. In fact, Jalen Reed sent a message out there to all of us. He thinks he's maybe the most underappreciated guy on this roster, but he says he belongs in the conversation as some of the best linebackers in the Big Ten in America. He was really, really repping for, for Kobe King on our phone call today. So Kobe King continues to emerge as a linebacker. It sounds like he continues to emerge as a, a leader, too. Maybe he's a captain for you next year. But this is one of those real bright spots right now as you're trying to, to figure out how things are trending in different areas. They've got something special cooking at middle linebacker. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, ever since we've been talking to this kid, you could tell that there were leadership skills in there, right? I mean, he just carries himself uh, so well, no matter what you ask him about. I mean, he, mu he must have been asked, um, you know, through his career 8,000 times about his brother, who's, you know, just there's more of a spotlight on him, and he handles it just extremely well every single time. I don't think it's a coincidence that his role has expanded as they've started to face teams that are running the ball more. And, and that's not a knock on him. It, I, I think it actually tells you, 
you know, what they're valuing late in the season. You know, it gets to be November. Obviously, this won't be a weather game, uh, but teams are going to start running the ball more, and you're going to need that tough Mike linebacker out there ready to do what he needs to do, which is, which is you know, crack some skulls. So I think it's been really good to see him out there, and I think their linebacker core in general, you know, it's going to be too bad that when the All-Big Ten teams come out, I just don't know who on this defense is going to, you know, maybe Adisa Isaac, just because guys have don't have the numbers, they just don't have the stats. And you know, I know I vote for for the All Big Ten basketball teams, and it's that's much easier because you're seeing guys play against each other. And uh, you know, when you're when you're voting for football, you know, a lot of these voters may not see certain teams, and you really just have to rely on the stats. And I think Kobe King's one of those guys. I think. Uh, Chop Robinson's one of those guys. Uh, obviously, Abdul Carter. I think Curtis Jacobs, when he's been in there and healthy, he's done really well. I mean, they have so many guys who have played well, and I'm sure I'm leaving people out, but I think he falls into that realm where, you know, you kind of look at the stats, and he's up there stat-wise, but even his stats aren't kind of mind-blowing, and I think they're kind of a victim of their own success. But, yeah, definitely, it's been good to see him come on at the end, and I absolutely think – I think he's I think he's a captain type on this team. I really yeah. do. I, you know, he's not been named a captain, but again, we've been around him, and uh, he carries himself like, like a captain and like a leader. So uh, he, my my guess is, he will officially be a captain next year, and he'll be a good por- person to to kind of build that defense around. Devon Ellis, by the way, another guy who's not an official captain, but he looks every bit the yeah. part. He sounds every bit the part. He has been every bit the part. It seems of a team captain for that defense and. By the way, great point, Mark, because this is a defense that currently rates second among all FBS teams in total defense. It's number one in sacks. It's second in takeaways. It's third in rush defense. It's fourth in scoring defense. It's sixth in pass defense. And yet you're right. When you look at the the leading tackler right now, Kobe King, he's averaging over the course of 11 games fewer than five tackles per game. And he's the number one tackler on your roster right now. And so, yeah, when when voters sit down and and we know that they're going to look at the the stat sheet for that sample size, uh, it's a good point in terms of all Big Ten recognition, but I, I think these guys will reap the benefits long-term professionally based on what they put on film uh, this year. We've heard that from a lot of them. We heard it from Manny Diaz. It's kind of been the reaffirming thing. If you do your job in this defense, the rest of it will take care of itself. Maybe you don't garner some of those ribbons at the end of the year and some of those ch- shiny individual trophies, but I think a lot of these guys are in real strong shape. Daniel, we'll finish uh, with some of the player availability conversation right now. Uh, you heard from Tyler Warren and Chop Robinson on Tuesday morning. Talk us through the highlights of those, and, and and Robinson's obviously a guy, and you can put both of them in the category, but Robinson, because of that first-round buzz that's been brewing since preseason, we are now certainly at the stage where there are questions being asked about what is next, and is he sticking around? Yeah, both Tyler Warren and, and Chop Robinson said that you know they're leaving their decisions until after the season. They said they still have one game left. They still have responsibilities to this team, um, and which is kind of what you expect to hear. Uh, from players at this point in the season, but it's one of those things where it, it never hurts to ask. Um, but you know, there were a couple follow-ups where I asked Tyler Warren um, about the moment on the field after the game because I think he was one of the last players off of the field. He was out there for a long time after the game, um, taking pictures with uh, with his family. Uh, he said that it was just really special that it was his senior day. Um, you know, they wanted his family wanted to have those photos on the field. They wanted to have that moment commemorated. Um, Chop Robinson was asked kind of about, does he see those mock drafts? Does he know 
where some of these NFL draft analysts have him going. Um, and he said that and he told us it's something that that he tunes out um, over the course of the year. But I, I thought there were some interesting things from the calls too. Uh, Tyler Warren was asked about uh, Jaywan Sider and Ty House splitting those co interim co offensive coordinator duties. Um, and Warren said that kind of the idea of the game plan was being simple equals playing with speed. Uh, he said that that was an emphasis from the coaching staff um, last week was to play fast. I think that that factors into what we've heard a little bit with uh, the more trimmed down game plan, the um, things being a little less robust uh, for some of these players. Um, I, I think that the idea is to have them play faster, play with instincts. Um, and I think that's kind of what Warren uh, was getting at there. Um, and then Chop Robinson, um, you know, even though he didn't, uh, you know, he said that he hasn't made a decision on his future. The tone, I think, in some of our questions and in some of the answers definitely had sort of a, a retrospective feeling about it. Um, he talked about going to get his picture taken with the banner in Nittanyville. Um, and he said that that was something that he really wanted to do because he said that was the last time that banner was going to be hanging up uh, in Beaver Stadium. So he wanted to, to commemorate that moment. Um, he talked a lot about how being at Penn State has taught him a lot, um, both as a player and as a man. Um, he said he talked a lot about uh, learning from James Franklin about the, the value of being early to things, um, you know, being 10 minutes early to everything. He came back to that um, at least once where in terms of the lessons that he's learned that have helped him both you know, in football, but then also in his own life. Um, so it, it, it is going to be interesting to see what, um, you know, the next couple of weeks hold for him uh, and, and what he wants to do. I, I think that coming into the year that we kind of had him locked in um, as a departure, who knows what the type of season he had, the production, what he could gain by by coming back for another year, all of those things factor in. Um, but it was, a, it was a good conversation with Chop Robinson. I mean, you want to talk about uh, a guy kind of putting some, uh, you know, putting a transfer portal brochure together. I think that Chop Robinson is a guy, along with Johnny Dixon, that Penn State can, you know, put everything that they've told us these last two weeks, you know, put it into some brochure or something, send it to all these guys in the transfer portal. And I think it makes a, a really good case as to what coming to Penn State can do for you. Robinson and Dixon are tied for second on the team with four sacks apiece. Adiza Isaac leads away with six and a half sacks. Uh, Robinson is number two on the team with seven tackles for loss, despite missing two full matchups and much of the Ohio State game. And as we have noted several times, that first month of the season, it was maybe two quarters uh, of work for a lot of these uh, top-end defensive players. So uh, certainly something to look forward to here with, with, uh, with Chop Robinson and with some of these other decisions that are looming. If I recall correctly, guys, we got most of our answers before that bowl game was played last year, which is a really nice thing for us. And I think a really good thing for that locker room, uh, you know, Jair Brown and Theo Johnson, I think put it out there. And even Adiza Isaac, a bunch of these guys put out confirmations that they were making their decision one way or the other, you know, whether they were staying or going um, and, and, and kind of, you know, who, who Brent strange is, was the one that was on the fence and he announced before the bowl, I think juice Scruggs, who could have had a COVID year, potentially he announced before the bowl. So we had a lot of, uh, I guess, closure by the time we got to that kickoff. And uh, Daniel, do you think that we see a wave like that in the next week or so, or do we have to wait it out more? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was like everyone who was leaving announced before the bowl. And then everyone who was staying announced after the bowl. Um, okay. I, I think because we had Curtis Jacobs, Keaton Ellis, 
Um, I know that like guys like Theo Johnson and Devon Ellis, they didn't make official announcements, but I know that I remember Ellis and Jacobs putting things out there after the game. I think Adisa Isaac did too. Um, But so it is going to be interesting to see, um, you know, how, what this looks like. We've talked about what it was like uh, before the Outback Bowl. Um, It it seemed like those announcements, those announcements came out earlier in the month um, in terms of guys leaving um, guys taking extra years like Sean Clifford and Jonathan Sutherland. Um, and Nick so, Tarburton, Nick Tarburton yeah. announced that he was not going to use that sixth year in, in mid to early December last year. So it was like, okay, that's figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm, I am curious to see what this looks like, but I, I think it'll just kind of depend on where the locker room is at. Um, after this game, I, I think that in 2021, there were a lot of guys who were ready to move on, um, to, go on to whatever's next, begin training for the draft. Um, last year, that group of players, they were they wanted to play in the Rose Bowl. You know, they had that opportunity. Um, a lot of those guys had talked about feeling the highs of 2011 and then the lows of – or 2019 and then the lows of 2020 and 2021. So someone like Jair Brown wanting to end things on a good note. Um, so I, I think that – I mean, I think, honestly, some of it depends on how this game Friday night goes. And I think some of it depends on what bowl game um, Penn State ends up in. But I do think that you do have some high-profile guys who, you know, someone like Olu Fashionu, I think that that's essentially a formality. So I think that that's something that could come early. Um, but it's going to be a little bit different than last year, I think. Yeah, and 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 with some of these announcements, it's also, are you also playing the bowl game? You know, if Olu Fashionu, we, we see so many top 10 kind of players at, at that level uh, opt out and maybe don't play in the bowl a few years back before opt out. So I think we're quite as prevalent, but Saquon Barkley, you know, announced before the season was over, he was going to be committed. Or I think after the regular season finale, he was committed to playing in the bowl game, whatever it would be. They had kind of a, an adjusted plan. So maybe Olu plays a quarter, maybe he plays a half, who knows? Uh, but, but that's just things to keep in mind that we can address in December. We can move on from a bit right now before this matchup. And in terms of what's in front of our face right now for Michigan state versus Penn state, the Drew Aller, Bo Perbula conversation at quarterback. I'm, I'm not talking about a controversy. I'm talking about availability here because as far as we understand, on Tuesday as we're recording, Drew Aller is anticipated to be able to go in this matchup. James Franklin said as much, and he said it very publicly on Monday, and he, and he reiterated a couple times that's what their viewpoint was, although they had some practices to get to. They, they started the practice week early. We're going to get a look here on a Tuesday. If something's awry or amiss there, you'll find about it at lines247.com. But, Mark, let's assume that Drew Aller is able to get back involved. Now, James Franklin has made a little bit of a public commitment as well in saying Bo Prabula will remain active as part of the offensive game plan here against Michigan State. We didn't see Bo Prabula at all against Ohio State and Michigan. We saw him a little bit during the game against Maryland. I think we saw him for one snap or so uh, before Drew Aller got hurt. So, Thus far, outside of that Maryland matchup, it would be an outlier to see these guys sharing the field or see Bo getting some serious offensive work in the first half. Do you believe it? And do you think we're going to see it early on against Michigan State? One quick point on the previous topic. I muted myself. I was trying to interrupt and I couldn't. But two things to keep in mind that this is one point, but two things. You know, Manny Diaz, whether he's coming back, I think could impact people. And then I also think, and I, and I haven't heard anybody address this directly, and it's probably something we could ask after the season, that some of these NIL deals that players have signed include stipulations that they're at least with the team through the bowl. So those are two things that we'll keep our ears to the ground on 
Um, you know, obviously everybody's going to with Manny, but on the NIL side of thing. But with respect to the quarterbacks, how many times has Franklin done this, you know, over the last eight or ten years where, you know, we we went into the game thinking we were going to play both, you know, two quarterbacks and we just couldn't find a spot to do it. So I'll believe that they're going to actually do it when they do it. You know, we saw one play last week before Drew Aller was hurt. I think the most important thing is, you know, whether or not Aller plays is that they just play smart. You know, I, I don't, I think Steven hit on a good point that Michigan State's only chance in this game is if Penn State implodes offensively and just turns the ball over. So I think if it's Aller, if it's Bo Pribula, just no high risk stuff, you know, go out there. I'm not suggesting Bo Pribula, if he's the guy, should just run, run, run. I do think they have to get him into a spot where, he is able to pass because sooner or later you're going to need him and you're and, and you're not going to be able to just run all over an opponent like they did last week. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just important that whoever is out there that 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 they just play it smart and they don't take a lot of a, a lot of risks. Uh, but yeah, with Franklin, I mean, we've seen this multiple times in his career where you know he, he's he's indicated that they ha- had every intention of playing multiple quarterbacks. And they just couldn't find the right spot to do it. I mean, what was it a couple years ago? It's like they they ended up to it was was it God was it Veyu? I forget who the heck it was, or was it Levis? But you know, it's it's they got to the the there, there were too many plays that they ran in the third quarter or something. I mean, it was just they they always have these plans and they never figure out a way to do it. So I'll actually believe that they're going to play multiple quarterbacks if they actually do it. Well, I think this becomes more magnified, Daniel. If if they enter this game and Drew Aller's your quarterback and you get through a few series, even if you produce some points along the way, if the ground game isn't being effective and it's not finding its way, then you think back to what James Franklin about uh, has said several times as recently as Saturday about the diversity that Bo Prabula can provide. And you look at what Bo Prabula has done largely in mop-up duty this season. He was needed in a different kind of role last Saturday, but he's averaging six yards per carry 311 yards on 52 total rush attempts, five touchdowns uh, along the way. And look, we don't know how he is as a passer. That part of his game has not been shown to us since he was at Central York leading that team you know, to, to state championship games. We are definitely curious. And, and if he has to take on a bigger role in this game as a quarterback, because of where Drew is from a health standpoint, that's a different conversation. But don't you agree, Daniel, that at the very least, this, this, run, this ground game, if it needs the jolt, Bopra Bula is the man who can clearly provide it, and he's waiting on the sidelines. And if it gets deeper and deeper to this game, you can understand why there'd be a sense of frustration. And I don't think the staff will let it get to that point, to be honest. Yeah, I, I am curious to see how they manage this. I, I, I'm in the same kind of uh, camp as Mark in terms of believing it when we see it, in terms of seeing playing two quarterbacks in the run of play, like – where it's kind of seamless, where it comes in, comes out, like where it feels like it's part of the offense as opposed to, you know, just sticking them out there in the red zone or or something like that. But I do think that if things are kind of getting, if it's getting a little late early on Friday night and things aren't really moving and you're a little stagnant, I mean, I I do think that Prabula is someone that you can look to, um, to, to give yourself a jolt, but I, I mean, at the same time, though, I, I think that if if your running game isn't working um, the way that this Penn State offense has played this year, that means you probably don't have many points, and that means that you're probably locked up into a tight game. And I think that James Franklin kind of uh, you know admitted that 
the way that their defense was playing, that they were not worried about that Rutgers offense at all, because he basically said that from the time Bo Previla went in when it was a 10-6 game, that they were ready to milk clock, that they were really ready to kind of just sit on Rutgers. And I know that the I have the the Michigan State uh, offensive stats in front of me, and it's not a pretty picture. Um, but is Michigan State in this type of environment, is this going to be a team that you can just kind of sit on um, if you know if things aren't aren't going well, if you have that you know three, four, six point lead and you know, things aren't really working, so you want to try to ice it with Bo Fribula. I mean, is that actually going to work uh, in in this type of game? Um, I, I think that's something that kind of pops up into my head as as a bit of a balancing act. But I, I do think it would behoove Penn State to to use Bo Fribula earlier in the game. Um, you know, I think you've had this package all year, so you should know how to be able to use it while keeping Drew Aller um, in rhythm, if he is in rhythm. I mean, if if that's not the case, then it's kind of like, what was the point of it? Um, and I think that at this point in the year, we're still trying to figure out what the real uh, point of the package was based on um, when it was and wasn't used. But I think it would be wise for Penn State to use it um, early in the game, and especially if you know, the the holes aren't quite there for Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Um, you know, and Nick Singleton especially, I think I would maybe want to see how he could benefit early in a game um, from being with Bo Prabula. I, I think that we saw him come on strong um, at the end of the game against Rutgers. So he's someone that I think could benefit early uh, from putting Bo Prabula out there. Um, Michigan State, to your point, maybe maybe how it leads Penn State's offensive decision-making process as the night goes on. They have failed to score even 13 points in five of their seven losses. So knowing what we know about this Penn State defense, knowing what we know about the Michigan State offense, you know, does it take 14 points to win this game? And, and if you're winning 17 to six and it's the third quarter and things aren't going well for your offense, I think the other thing is, though, Man, if you do something like we saw in 2020 against Rutgers, um, where where you had, uh, as far as I understand it, a healthy Sean Clifford and a healthy Will Levis or healthy enough to play, and they basically opted in that game because of the situation. They had a lead. They didn't think that Rutgers could score on them. It was a windy day in Piscataway. They brought in Will Levis, and they basically said, run the ball. You hand it off a few times or you run the ball. I don't think Will threw a pass that afternoon on the second half. Maybe he threw one or two. I, If he did, I don't recall, but he th- was like a battering ram. And my only question is if you go that route here when Drew Aller is available versus when he's on the sideline after visiting the medical tent and then holding the helmet in the sideline, what do you potentially – there's a risk reward here. What do you potentially signal to your quarterback room signal to your offense as you now have four weeks to wait until your next matchup? And I guess that's why it's very important, Daniel, to make sure these guys are also on the same page about what to anticipate. I think you don't want to be throwing Bo Perbula or Drew Aller curveballs over the course of this matchup. You want them to be comfortable and anticipatory about how this whole process is going to work. So it can benefit the de- benefit the offense. And neither of these guys are kind of in the dark about why it's happening. From what we've heard from James Franklin and some of the players with the approach of the offensive staff, I mean, it seems like that that's something that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, James Franklin has been touting the collaboration between Jaywon Sider, Ty Howell, and the offensive staff. You know, talking to Tyler Warren today about the offense uh, and kind of that you know playing faster, being simplified. Uh, I think after the game on Saturday against Rutgers, a lot of the players said they felt like that they didn't really miss a beat. 
um, with Jalen Sider and, and Ty Howell running the offense. So um, I, I think that that's uh, it is such a great point. I mean, I think that you need both of these quarterbacks to to be prepared for what they're going to see because um, that also factors in with, with getting guys in rhythm, keeping them in rhythm, um, potentially riding the hot hand if you have to. Um, so I, I think that the you know, from all accounts from James Franklin, the offensive preparation and whatnot should have them in a position for you know, these players to know exactly what they're getting into. But we'll see uh, on Friday night. Uh, last chance for Drew Aller to, to make a statement in Big Ten play here as a sophomore starting quarterback. And we'll see how Bo Perbula is involved. We, you addressed K. Tron Allen and Nick Singleton there based on the rotational approach. It should be a Nick Singleton start in Detroit. Interesting note here, though. Last week, you saw 17 touches for K. Tron Allen, 11 touches for Nick Singleton. But the snap count showed a little bit more disparity there. It was uh, 37 snaps for Catron Allen versus 20 on offense for Nick Singleton. And that's about as wide of a margin as I can recall between those two. So does it trend toward Catron Allen more uh, following another impressive effort? Or does Nick Singleton's late spark against Rutgers combined with his opportunity to start against Michigan State give him kind of a more balanced look here in that backfield carrying the weight? So we'll find out. Chance to make a closing statement here in the regular season for these guys. Chance to do it for this wide receiver group, too. And it's been a week-by-week -week look at this uh, bunch and, and who's going to pop up. Last week, it was Amari Evans' uh, turn uh, up to, to remind everybody that he exists after kind of being put on ice for much of this Big Ten schedule. A guy that we thought was going to play a prevalent role in that position group coming into the season. And that just never really materialized. He had some opportunities in September. Didn't see any statistical production there. He was then gone. And then 30-plus snaps yesterday uh, on Saturday, Mark, trailing only Keandre Lambert-Smith. And speaking of Mr. Lambert-Smith, you know, last week we looked back – or last year we looked back at, at his performance against Michigan State as kind of that springboard, you know, leading him toward what he was able to accomplish later on in the Rose Bowl and, and obviously what he was able to do for much of this season. But he reaches the tail end of his fourth year on campus with one catch for six yards in the last 120 minutes – of football so this receiver group and i suppose we have to attach this to it if boper buell is out there the receiver group based on the way the offensive game plan has gone it takes a hit but assuming drew aller is the quarterback and this is his last chance to link up with these guys before this team goes to a postseason matchup what do we need to see mark and and obviously we can't say 300 receiving yards but we need to see some baby steps right yeah i mean i think this game is gigantic for keandre lambert smith you know, he comes off of that game at Maryland where he has eight catches for 95 yards at Indiana or against Indiana, six for 96. I mean, the guy was just doing great. And then he disappears against Michigan, you know, one catch for six yards, as you mentioned, and then he wasn't even targeted. I mean, I don't know how that happens. And I can't, you can't blame that completely on the offense and completely on the quarterbacks. And, you know, unless Rutgers has like the, you know, the Legion of Boom or whatever it was called, like the Seattle Seahawks, tremendous secondary of 10 years ago. I mean, I just – I don't know. And we've talked about Keandre the last couple years and how gifted he is. But the lack of consistency has been – the one the one consistent with him has been a lack of consistency. I know that's, that's going a long way to make a point. But to me, this game is gigantic because if you finish off – with three games with basically no production going into that bowl, you know, you're chewing on that for more than a month. That's really difficult. And, you know, he has a decision to make on, on what he's going to do. And at this point, I mean, I just don't know where he would project. I mean, maybe he goes to the combine 
and, and, and does an unbelievable job testing. You know, we've heard about how his, you know, his his quickness and space in space in those things. But yeah, I, I this to me is 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 it's not just about the receivers. This is this kid's career. We've seen him operate at an elite level on a giant stage in a Rose Bowl. We've seen him play well against good opponents, but down the stretch here, he's disappearing. And I think it's just big for him to have a big game because you want to go into that break. We talked about it with other players. You want to go into that break, you know, having something to build on in the bowl game. You want to go into that break having confidence and not not being, you know, having a negative feel about yourself uh, through that entire month. And, and another guy that we just can't figure out where he's at right now is Caden Saunders. Uh, he had a career high in snaps against Michigan uh, a week prior when he was announced on the Jumbotron as a starter. Uh, 26 of those against the Wolverines. I believe he was announced as a starter again uh, b- before the Rutgers game. But it was a two tight end set per usual, but only four total snaps for Caden Saunders. And again, if Bo Perbula is, is going to be the, the heavily factored in at quarterback, I think we can probably assume that the slot position, that receiver, isn't going to be very prevalent uh, in this offensive plan. But again, Caden Saunders, Amari Evans, Keandre Lambert-Smith, you can go down the list. Harrison Wallace, we haven't heard anything new on him. He was ruled out last week by James Franklin after midweek practice. If he comes up again, we'll get a little more clarity there. But James Franklin didn't go so far as to roll him out for the remainder of the season last week. So uh, if he is on the practice field, that will certainly be a lead in our practice notes at Lions247.com. Guys, before we finish off with our players to watch and and our final predictions here, we've got to put a spotlight on Manny Diaz again because in this final game of the Big Ten East era, when as you guys set up pretty well, there's going to be a spotlight on this matchup. Uh, because of its timing and because of of the window that it's located, and to me, the the best the the most opportune uh, guy to seize that spotlight is Manny Diaz because of the way this one shapes up from a matchup perspective. Penn State's defense versus a Michigan offense that just hasn't been able to do much right all season long, and then because of the way Manny Diaz has been kind of having his name out there in different conversations. There's a chance that him and his agent can really capitalize on what happens on Black Friday night, Daniel, because I think that is really set up to be the the, the takeaway storyline. Regardless of what we get from the offense in this occasion, it's a hard time seeing the defense letting Michigan State off the hook. Yeah, there's there's a joke there about uh, Manny Diaz and his agent not giving a Black Friday discount if they yeah. uh, if they have a good game. But I'm I'm not going to try to stick the landing on on that one. But yeah, I I mean I think that. Manny Diaz is someone who, you know, during his time at, at Penn State, has had a, a really high profile. Um, I think part of it is what happened to him at Miami, and I think that a lot of people in the industry were really curious as to what was going to be next for him, um, given everything around that job um, and, and Diaz's tenure there. And I think that he's come here and really, really backed it up and really elevated things. Um James Franklin on Monday was so complimentary of Manny Diaz and, and what he's done for this defense in terms of taking what was already here and really, really elevating it. Um, and in the process, seeing like he's having a like a really good time. I mean, you watch Diaz out there on the practice field and he seems like he's genuinely enjoying uh, this experience. The the coaching, um, you know, being with these players, recruiting, interacting. I mean, it seems like that he's really relaxed, really comfortable. And part of that probably comes from just being a defensive coordinator and not a head coach and not having to worry about everything else that goes along with it. So, um, yeah, but I mean, 
I think if Penn State goes out there and does what we think they can do against this Michigan State offense, I mean, I've got it. It's 128th in scoring offense, 123rd in rushing offense, 89th in passing offense, 121st in total offense. I mean, that's just asking for this Penn State defense to feast. And I think that given what we know about Diaz as a motivator and how his players feel about him, I think that these guys are going to show up for this game and, and be locked in. Um, they already got through their kind of hangover game against Indiana. Um, and there was no trace of that uh, last week against Rutgers coming off of a, um, you know, another disappointing loss to Michigan where they played well. So I, I think that Manny Diaz has this unit really, really well positioned to make a statement. I think that there's probably going to be a, a good number of people kind of tuning in who haven't really followed college football. And, you know, they'll see Manny Diaz on the screen and be like, Oh, ah, like, how did he end up there? Like what, what's going on? I think that it's a great opportunity for Diaz to really, you know, kind of have a last word on this season as we go into like the real carousel given national TV, you know, Friday night, a lot of eyes on this game. We haven't heard from Manny since the bye week. Uh, we expect to hear from him before a bowl game. We'll see what all happens between now and then. But uh, he certainly has, has added, stacked his resume here at Penn State as a defensive coordinator. And we have a story up at lines247.com today about some of the comments from James Franklin about Manny Diaz's uh, tenure thus far, how he has elevated this defense, and additionally about what Franklin and this administration are facing to keep him on campus uh, moving ahead potentially. All right, players to watch, and, and we'll begin with you, Mark, since we just heard from Daniel. Uh, where are you landing here in, in the bright lights of Ford Field? I'm going to go with Chop Robinson. I think he's going to be a guy who uh, has a long NFL career and does a lot of things in places like Ford Field. The last couple of weeks, he's just showed like another level of quickness since he's come back from, from being banged up. And I think when he's effective – it allows other people to be effective. So even if it doesn't necessarily manifest itself in great stats for Chop, I think it'll open things up for other people to get in there and get to that quarterback. So I look for Chop Robinson. He is my player to watch. Whether this is his last Penn State regular season game uh, remains to be seen, but uh, what an impact he's had. And uh, he's one of those guys who doesn't have monster stats, but I think is going to, whenever he decides to go to the NFL, is going to do very well for himself. Daniel? I'm going to go with a, a little twofer of Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. Um, I, I think that there's two guys that have really occupied a prominent place um, in the offense this year. I mean, they're Keandre Lambert Smith is number one in, in yards and uh, receptions and yards, but Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson are in that two, three spot with almost identical stats. Tyler Warren uh, leads the team in, in touchdown catches. And I think that if we do see um, Bo Perbula for an extended period of time, whether that's because of injury or giving this package run, um, I think that when he's out there, both of those guys are going to be out there. It's hard for me to see Penn State running out there with a three wide receiver set with Prabula back there. So I think that if they do kind of, uh, you know, let Prabula go a little bit, let him throw it around. Um, I think that Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren are, are two guys that could really factor in there. And then on top of that, we know that they're two of Drew Allers, you know, favorite and most trusted targets. So I think that those are two guys that ha could have a, a big game no matter the quarterback um, on Friday night. 
I had three names written down for this. The first was Chop Robinson. The second was Tyler Warren. So I'll go to number three. We already discussed them a bit, but Kobe King, to me, uh, I think he's going to lead the team in tackles on Friday night, and I think some of them are going to be splash plays. Uh, he's been uh, kind of a proven commodity at linebacker and getting into the backfield on occasion, uh, and, and I think he's going to show up in that way. They're missing their starting center. They're really lacking for experience at a valuable spot on the offensive line with a quarterback who has not shown the ability to elevate this offensive attack. So I'm looking at the quarterback of the defense and Kobe King countering that, a guy who has shown that command and control and really seems to be hitting his stride right now. I think that continues in his home city, and I think he's going to make a case to be that defensive MVP of the matchup coming out of it in Detroit. So uh, there's our players to watch. Let's get to our predictions and our bold predictions. And, Daniel, let's go with you to start this one. For bold predictions, I'm, I'm going back to the well that I went to two weeks ago before the Michigan game uh, with the Detroit trio. Jalen Reed, Kobe King, Kalen King. Um, I, I think that we're going to get a, a Kalen King interception, a Kobe King force fumble, and a Jalen Reed tackle for loss in this game. Um, I, I think that all three of those guys are kind of in different places in their careers and in terms of what a big showing here could mean for them. Obviously, it's, it would mean a lot for all of them personally, but in their careers, you've got Kalen King, uh, who we think will be in the draft. So this is a real last chance for him to make a big impression on national television. I think that next year, Jalen Reed could be one of the more important players uh, in the secondary that could see a little bit of turnover. So this is an opportunity for him to showcase what he can do. And then Kobe King, I think Tyler did a really good job of uh, summarizing what he could mean to this team um, next year. So I think that he can set himself up uh, nicely, uh, all three of them in their hometown. Um so I'm expecting a big game from the defense, obviously, uh, coupled with that production and just kind of how bad this Michigan State offense has been. Um, I think that one thing with this Penn State offense this year and, and even last year when they really shifted to a, a run-heavy scheme is that is the type of thing where you, you look down and it's kind of close and then you'd look up in the fourth quarter and they're covering that spread and they're really running away from things. I think we'll see something similar on Friday night. I have Penn State 31, Michigan State 9. All right, Mark, uh, there's Daniel's pick. What do you have for us? You're Got muted. muted. <laughs> I will start by unmuting myself and then go with my bold prediction. Um, this is a place, an indoor stadium, where uh, Justin Tucker kicked a 66-yard field goal back in 2001, the NFL record. I don't think Alex Falcons is going to go quite that deep, but I do think he's going to go at least 53 yards. His uh, his personal career record set at a previous institution was 53 yards. I think he goes at least that far, maybe 53, 54, 55, maybe get an opportunity at the end of a half where they go give him a real long one. Falcons, to me, has been such an unsung hero for this team, 16 of 19, and you look at what he's done between 40 and – uh, 49, I mean, six of seven, that's, that, that, that's crazy. So maybe he gets an opportunity in this game, great weather conditions in there in, in Ford field and is able to boom one. I'm not going with a big scoring day for Penn state because you, you mentioned earlier, how many points is it going to take to win? I think it's going to take 14 points to win, uh, at most because Michigan state is averaging 13 and change in Big Ten play. And I don't think it's even going to take that many. So I think Penn State's going to play it really smart offensively, um, not take any exceptional risks. 
know that your defense and special teams are going to take care of business. And ultimately, Penn State wins 24 to 10 in a low scoring, low risk game. But I think that'll be enough to get them into the New Year six. I'll start with my bold prediction. Once again, going with uh, what the defense is going to accomplish on Friday night. Last week, we saw them produce three takeaways, and that got 17 points on the board ultimately for Penn State on ensuing possessions. I think they'll top the number of takeaways and at least match the points off the turnovers against Michigan State. So give me at least four turnovers forced by the Penn State defense over the course of this matchup, and then at least 17 points off of that and i think that's going to be at least half of their total points i've got 34 to 7 the nittany lions winning this one i could see it being a a bit of a formula where the ground game gets going in the second half again as the possessions stack up and the plays stack up against michigan state and michigan state's offense fails to give those spartans defenders any kind of rest they're banged up there's depth questions linebacker secondary all over the place so i think even if michigan state shows that they're ready to, to mess around early and, and they're a scrappy bunch and they're ready to, to really push a, a penn state offense that is lacking some confidence right now i think ultimately those floodgates will open a little bit and, and if it's not drew aller uh, getting it done with the arm and, and and finding his way after after some some you know tough performances here of late i think ultimately it will be katron allen at the head of the at the head of the rushing attack and, and getting it done there. But the defense will set the tone, as I said, with big plays and, and Chop Robinson, Mark, I think if this is it for him, uh if this is his farewell moment, I think it's gonna be a big one in a Friday, you know, Friday night showcase kind of matchup that a lot of people will be focusing in on. And a lot of people will be wondering where's Chop Robinson gonna be playing next year. We'll hear it from him, but I think this is the kind of performance if he can stack it up on what we saw from him last Saturday where it's going to be really hard to make the case against him not moving on because of what he can already bring to the field and what he is as an athlete. But uh, still a lot to learn about this team and some of those offseason decisions. For Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan, where we hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. We're going to be back with you here on a post-game podcast on Friday night. These guys will be out at Detroit Ford Field, so follow early for coverage. Uh, and we are at the practice field on Tuesday night after we record here. So circle back over to Lions247.com for our practice report our top takeaways from conversations with James Franklin and a bunch of different players after that Wednesday or after that Tuesday practice. And we'll eventually work our way to toward kickoff 730 on Friday night. Fellas, appreciate it. Uh, happy holidays. And we'll talk to you real soon. See you soon. Thanks, Tyler. All right. On behalf of them, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.